0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ and His power and love even now as you listen.
1: Well, good morning, FBC family, and to all those who are joining in with us. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are on Palm Sunday. This is a day when we think about Jesus riding into Jerusalem as a humble king on a donkey. And of course, he was riding into Jerusalem to die for our sins and to rise from the dead. And that is the message that we need to hear today. That's the message that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 18 through 25 about the word of the cross. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ crucified. The power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Some of you may remember a commercial on TV some years ago, maybe in the late 80s or early 90s, featuring the tennis star Andre Agassi. And it was a commercial for a camera company. And so after getting some action shots of, of, of Andre in, in action, he, he turned to the lens, and I'll never forget, he was sporting a mullet haircut, which was all the rage in those days. But he looked into the lens and he said, after all, image is everything. Well, if the world was obsessed with image 25 or 30 years ago, how much more is that the case today? Today, we can, most of us can just kind of pull a camera right out of our pocket, and sometimes we can try to project an, an, an image or a style or a, a, a brand on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever of, you know, the perfect life or the perfect family or the, the perfect style, the image, But you know, the temptation to do that is not something that is just for modern times. First century Corinth was obsessed with image and style and that had even crept into the church at Corinth. And so what Paul is doing here is calling them back to the only message with the power to save The message of the cross. And friends, in our hurting, desperate world today, that is the message that we most need. The power of the cross, the word of the cross. Let's talk about it today. First of all, we see in this text the message and reactions to it. Let's look together at verse 18. Paul says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Now listen, the message that Paul would preach as he went into city after city was the message that Christ had died for sinners like us and and included in that word of the cross was the message about the resurrection. After all, the cross would be meaningless apart from the resurrection of Christ, And so, if you read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament, if you read the book of Acts and you you read about the sermons of Paul there, he may start in different places depending on the audience, but he would always finish at the same place with the word of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Now listen, Paul was one of the most brilliant people who ever lived He was an intellectual titan who could go toe-to-toe with any Greek philosopher, with any Jewish teacher of the law. But when he stood to preach, he wasn't trying to show off his learning. He was there to preach Jesus, what Christ has done for us on the cross, and he was raised from the dead so that we may have eternal life. Now, why did he center in on that message? Because he knew that that message contained a power and that the supernatural power of God was unleashed when he would preach that message. To be sure, some would mock, but others would experience absolute transformation of life. The great New Testament scholar, Dr. N.T. Wright, describes what this was like. When Paul came into a pagan city that prided itself on its intellectual or cultural life and stood up to speak about Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified by the Romans, but raised from the dead by God, who was now Lord of the world, summoning people to faithful obedience, he knew what people would think. This was and is the craziest message anybody could imagine. This wasn't a smart new philosophy. It was madness. It wasn't an appeal to high culture. It was news of an executed criminal from a despised race. Nor would Jewish people themselves enjoy it. As Paul knew, it was a scandal to them. The word scandal in his day meant something that trips someone up. No Jew of the time was expecting a Messiah who would be executed by Rome. A Messiah ought to be defeating the pagans, not being killed by them. Paul had no illusions then about the gospel message, the royal announcement of King Jesus. Simply to make that announcement, to tell the story of Jesus and his cross was to invite people to mock. So when he announced it, when he stood up in the synagogue or the marketplace or the debating chamber, he didn't use clever words to trick people into thinking they believed it because they enjoyed his speaking style. The cross had to do its own work. Simply telling the story released a power of quite a different sort from any power that human speech could have. God's power beside which all human power looks weak. God's wisdom beside which all human learning looks like folly. So brothers and sisters, listen, there's some implications for us to take from this. First, tell people about Jesus. Just tell people about Jesus. Tell them that he died for sinners like us on the cross. Tell them that he rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. Second, you don't have to be eloquent or have the perfect words To tell them that, just humbly, lovingly tell people the good news of Jesus and what he has done. And there are so many people in these times that are ready to listen. Third, understand that you don't control their reactions. A lot of people will shrug it off. But there are going to be people who are going to experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit transforming their lives and giving them new hearts. God draws people to himself as you proclaim the message, the good news of Jesus. Now listen, we see those two reactions here in verse 18, don't we? He says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Paul talks about those who are being saved. He talks about those who are perishing. we have heard so much about death this week. There, There are times of the day when you can turn on the TV and you can look at the corner of your screen and you can literally see a body count, which is steadily rising. We, we've seen uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, thank God for them and their service, uh, standing before the American people with charts behind them and, and, and telling us that, that there's the possibility that, that even if we do everything right, that upwards of a quarter of a million Americans could still die. And if we continued with, the, with, with our normal lives, then, then more than two million could die. But when the Bible talks about people perishing, it's not talking about just physical death. When the Bible talks about perishing, it is talking about eternal death. It is talking about physical death plus eternal separation from God forever and that does not have to happen to you. Jesus says in John 3:16 the most famous verse in the Bible for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. If you were in Christ, you have no reason to fear death. What we should be concerned about is possibly becoming carriers of this disease to, to other people because most people are not spiritually ready to die. Let's look at verses 19 and and 20 here. Paul says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? Now, in verse 19, Paul is actually quoting from one of his favorite books in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 29. And I'm going to read that verse to you in context. And this is Isaiah 29 and verses 13 and 14. The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worship of me. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise will vanish and the perception of their perceptive will be hidden. In other words, Paul is saying here that all of the great speeches and all the smooth rhetoric in the world is not going to save people. We don't win people with style points. We win them with the word of the cross. That's the first thing we see here, the message and reactions to it. The second thing that we see is God's salvation and the beauty of it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter one and let's pick it up at verse 21. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe that is good news. That means that you don't have to climb Mount Everest to be saved. You do not have to possess some secret knowledge or wisdom to be saved. You don't have to be the perfect person to be saved. It says here that God was pleased to save those who believe. There's a great story in the book of Acts about Paul and and one of his missionary companions named Silas. And one time they were in a city named Philippi and they had been preaching the gospel and they were arrested and thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. And so there they were in the middle of the night uh, in chains, uh, hands and feet, locked up in a a jail cell at midnight and they were singing praises to God when suddenly a, a violent earthquake came and just shook the foundations of that prison to the point that the doors of the jail cells swung open the chains fell off the prisoners the poor jailer came out and he was terrified and he drew his sword and he was going to take his own life because in that day if if a jailer's prisoners escaped then the jailer was was going to be killed by the authorities anyway so he was going to take his own life and Paul stopped him he said no stop we're all here and we're not going anywhere And the Bible says that that jailer fell to his knees and he cried out, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We're experiencing an earthquake today of a a different sort, but the answer is still the same. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But what does it mean to believe? Does it mean that we just believe a few facts about Jesus in our head? No. It means to believe in Jesus, which is something entirely different. Yes, it means that we believe that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. But to believe in him doesn't just mean to believe stuff about him. It means that we commit our lives to him. It means that we turn from doing life our own way, and we turn to Jesus, and we trust him, and we give him our allegiance as savior and king. You can do that right now. It is no accident that you are watching this video today, and some of you can feel a pull right now in your lives. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't deny him. Turn to Christ and trust in him as your Savior and King today, and you can be saved. Let's look at verses 22 through 25. Paul says, for the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Oh, friends, we need God today. We need God today today. Our strength isn't cutting it. Our wisdom isn't cutting it. I want to share three areas where we need God. We need God for deliverance from this pandemic. You know, this virus is one one thousandth the width of a human hair. Hair. And yet, it has brought the entire world to a standstill. And we need God for deliverance from it. And so, pray. God's people need to join in prayer. Pray for those who are sick, pray for those who are grieving, those who have died. Pray for our brave healthcare workers, doctors and nurses, and everyone who is working on the front lines. Pray that God would protect them from getting sick as they risk themselves in serving others. Pray that they would get all of the equipment that they need. Pray that the numbers would, continue, would be continually depressed so that our healthcare system won't become completely overwhelmed. And pray not only for those who are working in the hospitals. Pray for medical scientists who are working in laboratories around the world. That breakthroughs would come. That a vaccine would would come and come quickly. Pray for them as they do their work. Pray for public officials. This is the time for God's people to pray we need God for deliverance from this pandemic but listen secondly we need God for deliverance from a greater disease the greatest disease that is unleashed upon the world today is not covid-19 covid-19 can take your your physical body but it cannot touch your soul but sin has the power to destroy our souls forever. And so therefore, pray. Pray that in this time when the world has been humbled, that people would turn to Christ by the multitudes. Third, we need God to give us contentment in him One of the wonderful things that could happen through this special time that we're going through is that we could learn to have our satisfaction and our contentment in the Lord. Because many of the things that would typically distract us, many of the things that we would typically be doing have been stripped away Oh, that we would learn during this special time that we can be content in God. You know, I think about that verse, Philippians 4.13, and we hear it all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But most people, when they quote that verse, they don't really understand what they're quoting because they don't understand it in context. Well, I wanna give you the context. Philippians chapter four, and instead of just looking at verse 13, I want us to look at verses 11 through 13. And it says this. Paul says here, beginning in verse 11, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content." whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a message about being content in God. It means that we can find our satisfaction and our contentment in Him in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And if we can learn that in this situation, then we will emerge differently from this situation. Because this crisis is temporary, but Christ is eternal. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who has been watching this message. And Father, I pray your blessing upon each one and their families. Father, I pray for their health and safety, but more than that, for spiritual health, for spiritual life. Father, I pray that your spirit would move and work in the lives of everyone who is watching, someone is watching, who has not yet given their life to Christ. And Father, I pray that right now that they would do that very thing, And Father, I pray for all believers who are watching this. Father, would you awaken us and may we find all of our contentment and all our satisfaction in you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray.
0: Amen. God bless you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your Son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8, 30, and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.